We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Get oh, he's hurt. Oh, he's mothered that chicken. He's the chicken. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Lovert skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Focci, 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 three Focci's in a row for three wins in a row. How are we feeling, Focci? It's only fitting because Alex, don't look now, but the boys might be back. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I have to ask you, Focci, I mean, how are you feeling about this team right now? Okay, look, I'm feeling better than the last time we recorded because I didn't even want the words tank to come out of my mouth or anything of the sort. I was struggling with that. I felt like I was I didn't know which direction the team and I was going in. But now after three straight wins, I just realized that the Pacers winning, it makes my life just a tad bit more enjoyable. Now, to your actual question, how do I feel about the Pacers? I feel a little tiny, maybe a smidge better about this team, but let's not forget who we just beat. We beat likely three non-playoff teams. Maybe Memphis gets in, but, uh, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves, Orlando Magic, they will be picking inside the top five. So I don't want to overlook who we beat, but we beat them nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, you took care of business, and I think the the win that's probably the most impressive to me, uh, maybe it's the Grizzlies, but at the same time, the Minnesota game was pretty impressive considering – the lead that they sustained in the first half without all those starters. I mean, it's pretty much Levert carrying the team. And then Aaron Holiday out of nowhere started playing great. The whole team was clicking. I mean, that was probably the most, you know, fun win in a sense because of how many guys were out. But I think that game against Memphis, while it did get close towards the end of the game, you know, that first quarter was super impressive. Karis Levert played really well. Brogdon played really well. Sabonis played pretty well for himself before he got in foul trouble. So, 
all in all, I thought, well, that might be the most complete game from everybody. But I'm still like in this weird little phase, Fatch. I'm not like, let's tank. But I also think like missing the playoffs could be a benefit for this team because they don't ever get high draft picks. And when they do, you know, they always seem to pick pretty well in the top 10. I mean, um, or when they're in the lottery. I mean, we don't want to look at the Tyler Hansborough era, but, you know, there's been other times where they've done a pretty good job picking in the lottery. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I, I can't root for them to lose. But at the same time, I, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm just, I'm fine with whatever. I, I don't really get too excited about wins and I don't get really too disappointed about losses. Oh, yeah, I hear. Trust me, the smart thing to do is to get the best draft pick possible rather than, you know, maybe getting swept in the first round. But it's just like I was saying the other day, like I can't openly be like, yeah, whoop our butt tonight. Just do it. Like I can't. I can't. (laughs) It's like when I watch Pacer basketball, I want to see good basketball. I want to see a win. And I can't say I've seen – Really good basketball lately, but I've seen higher scoring Pacer basketball. We've won. I mean, when you're talking about picking in the lottery, yeah, you do get better picks. Tenth overall pick, Paul George. Miles Turner, 11th overall. You got to be able to kind of move up. If you're picking 14th overall, and that's that's the difference. Like, you know what? Yeah, maybe we spice things up. Give me me the play-in game or, you know, the the playoffs, whatever it is. If you're going to, you know, tank or do it right, maybe get a top 10 pick. That's different. But right now, the Pacers, they're stuck in the, you know, between the playoffs and the lottery. And right now, they don't know which way they're doing it. But, you know, hey, a three-game winning streak, we hadn't done that since the first three games of the season. So maybe they're turning the corner. Yeah, maybe they are. I mean, it's, it's I think the game against the Clippers will be the most telling. Because, uh, you know, I'm not trying to sit and be like, oh, well, uh, this is the game that defines how good they are. But, I mean, they are just two games below 500. I believe they're still in the ninth seat, if I'm not mistaken. They are. So, you know, I'm just looking at the overall conference or the overall league. Let's see where they're at. It looks like they're pretty much right in the middle. So, yeah, they'd be having one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, like they're they're like seventeenth in the uh, in the entire NBA. So they're they're right there on the cusp uh, of those playoff teams. But did you know that the play-in game is set up differently than how it was? In the bubble? Yes. So, so go ahead and explain it. And if I am still confused, I'll uh, give my thoughts on it. But go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. So, no, from, from my understanding, uh, the ninth and the tenth seed are going to play this year. Seven and eight are going to go against each other. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, out of the winners of, you know, seven and eight, uh, the winner will move up to the seventh seed. Uh, the ninth seed versus tenth seed, obviously, the loser is eliminated. Uh, the ninth seed will then play who's going to be the eighth seed, um, and they're going to have a best two out of three. Uh, it's still going to be interesting. Still want to see it play out because last year I believe it was just, uh, you know, Portland beat Memphis, and I think in one game, and I think that was the end of it. So it really wasn't like a full-on play-in series. It was just one game. But from my understanding, that's how it goes this year. So so if the if the eighth seed beats the ninth seed, is it a two out of three or is it yes? Uh, the, I, I think that I thought it was a nine had to beat the eight two in two games out of th- yes, two games. Yes. So the but the eight seed, only has to win one, right? Exactly. The lower seed has to win two out of three. So it's only a one so if the eighth seed beats the ninth seed, the ninth seed is eliminated, right? Yep. Okay, so that clarifies it a little bit. I know there was some confusion. So seven plays eight. Winner of that's a seven seed. 
nine plays 10, winner of that's the nine seed. Whoever the eight seed is play this, plays a nine seed for the eight seed in the playoffs, which just seems like a little bit craziness to me. Um, I, I, I'm fine with it, but it's like, you know, I look back and right now, if we're looking at the Eastern Conference, Fachi, the Pacers would be playing against the Chicago Bulls at home in a 9-10 seed matchup. And I don't know if I'd pick the Pacers to win that game. I mean, if we're going to go off of what happened last Tuesday, I don't blame you. That was embarrassing. It was terrible. I mean, we're getting just eaten alive by big men. I mean, Vooch just killed us. Valanciunas just absolutely destroyed us. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't feel great in that game either. And if you don't feel great playing Chicago in a play-in series, who do you feel good playing? Period. I mean, it's just there's no – there's not many scenarios at all that are really going to work out because even if the Pacers – like, say, for instance, it worked out and the Pacers played the Knicks, like, just by going off the season series, we lost the season series to the Knicks. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with Charlotte. I mean, no matter how we look at it, I don't think we'd be favored really against anybody. Mm-mm. I mean, you got Charlotte, Boston, New York, Chicago, and I think they all beat us in the yep. head-to-head series. And then Toronto right there um, is only two games behind the Bulls, who have been hit or miss. The Bulls, I think the only game they won last week was that dominating performance against the Pacers. Yep. And Toronto has been playing pretty well. And Gary Trent Jr. looks like the MVP of the league. So, Looking I mean, I'm, I'm telling you what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable playing Toronto in a playing game either. I mean, I'm a little nervous, Fotch. Oh, yeah. There's no one that I would say, like, oh, don't worry, Pacer fans. Like, we got this. It's like, no, no, we don't have anything right now. Everything is going to come down the wire, just like these last few games. I mean, even like, even the other night, Pacers scored 45 points in the opening quarter against Memphis. You're like, whoa, this could be a blowout. And then next thing you know, the Pacers are up one with under two minutes to go. I mean, you're like, oh, my God, we might actually lose this. And the last few games, we've just allowed teams to crawl back into it to the point where I'm convinced no lead is ever safe with the Pacers. No, I, I completely agree. It's quite frustrating because, I mean, they just – they have been able to get some close games down the stretch against these bad teams. I mean, McConnell's hitting clutch shot oh after clutch God. shot. Um, I, I think Brogdon had a big three against the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're starting to see different guys step up and make plays, but at the same time – you're thinking to yourself, how do we ever let this team get back in this game like this? You know, yep. and that's what's frustrating. It's like I don't, I don't feel great about this winning streak because of who they've played, but at the same time, I mean, it's better than what we've had. So I'm not going to sit here and complain. Yeah, but I, I don't know if people read it or not. I, I didn't share it a ton, but I did write an article this weekend, basically talking about to tank or not to tank. And my whole thought process was, should they do it? Will they do it? And, and quite frankly, they're. They're not going to do it. I think everybody knows that as a Pacer fan. This is not in their MO to do it. But I really think that with the schedule ahead, I, I believe there are 11 um, – maybe there's only 20 games left now, but I can't remember. 20 games, the, exactly. Yeah, so I think there's probably um, 10 versus teams above 500 and 10 against teams below 500 now based on what I had done on my uh, my research. And I said, quite frankly, like – this team might not tank, but they might just unfortunately miss the playoffs based on their schedule. And it doesn't seem like Miles Turner will be returning anytime soon either. Yet I'm not sure on, on this. They have not really revealed the status of Miles' injury other than he's out for this Clippers game. 
uh, coming up. So, I mean, if he's out for the Clippers game, you know he's going to be out against Houston the following night. So You would assume so at least, yeah, right? You would imagine so. So it could be a while. could be another week. It could be two weeks. I mean, who knows? Hopefully it's not longer than that. But I looked at the schedule, and after we get past Utah, which is a couple games from now, we'll play them on Friday, there's a lot of winnable games here. I mean, there's going to be a revenge game against Nate McMillan coming up. The, the Hawks are oh, hot. He's, Nate's coming for a cold uh, dish revenge. The, the cold is straight out the freezer, Alex. It, it's <laughs> going to be tough. But after that, I mean, San Antonio, we just beat them. Oklahoma City, I mean, they're really banged up and really shutting it down. Detroit, Orlando, those are all in a row. Yeah, so, that, another three-game winning streak, maybe? It could be, could be. So there is, just when you thought maybe – you know, some of you guys were out. We're pulling you back in because this Pacers team, they actually have a chance to be, you know, potentially 500 maybe a week from now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's different too because, like, quite frankly, that last game of the season against the Raptors could mean a whole lot mm-hmm. depending on how this whole thing unfolds. And, you know, they got the Hawks twice. They got the Wizards again twice. They got the Thunder twice. I mean, so they definitely have winnable games, but they have some tough ones. They've got – like you said, the Clippers tomorrow night. They've got, you know, the Hawks have been playing well, though. I won't write them off yet um, as, a, as a team that I'm not too worried about because I think they're like 15-5 and five in their last 20 games under McMillan. Yep. So they're they're clicking, man. And the Spurs, I think that'll be a tough game because of how well we played them down there. I think that they'll figure some things out. But, I mean, the Jazz game, I'm going to pretty much mark that as a loss. <laughs> it's a 3 o'clock game on Friday. So, it's very strange. I, yeah. don't, I don't know why, but the only thing that we can say is the game's not in Utah where they haven't lost this year. So Where is it at? Uh, uh, oh, nope, never mind. I changed that. Sorry, guys. It is in Utah where they have not lost this year. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that, that's not good. Okay, not well, good. I thought with it being a weird time, it might be played somewhere else. And I'm like, All right, we're not doing that kind of stuff with COVID, are we? But They've got the Trailblazers and the Nets, which I think will be two tough games back to back as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm not I'm not sitting here like, oh, this is an easy cakewalk. But the nice thing is they play Milwaukee and Los Angeles towards the end of the season as well as Philadelphia. And maybe if those teams are trying to rest for the playoffs, that does give you a little incentive um, to maybe you know where they're sitting some guys and we have our guys fully at a full full roster strength, but. I just I, I've noticed one thing, and it's really kind of getting on my nerves. This team has not really been challenged against a full healthy team. I mean, every time we play a top team, it seems like somebody's out every single night. Completely agree. It really does, and it's almost like lately. I mean, you know, you're like I said, you you beat the the Spurs recently, but it's the Spurs after like Aldridge is gone, and then now you know Memphis. I mean, Jaron Jackson hasn't played this year, and and Memphis is still a good team, but. You know, the magic. I mean, they just traded everybody. Now you're now here comes the Clippers. There's no Patrick Beverly, no Serge Ibaka, no Kawhi Leonard. I'm not going to complain about it because the Clippers truly steamrolled this last time, won by 35. It was it was a very it was a beat down, I remember. Uh so hey, you know what? If we can get a win in any way possible, I want it. I mean, if all of a sudden the Pacers are 26 and 27, I mean it looked gross just a week ago, but then you start to go, eh, the rest of the East doesn't look that great. I mean, I guess we're kind of just middle of the pack like everybody else. So, I mean, there's a lot of teams that I'm sure they're probably just as down on their teams maybe as we are, but, I mean, how could you be, how could you be too down about a three-game winning streak? 
No, and they, no, what's funny though, Flatch, is you're like, well, you look at our record, it's like, God's gross. But then you look at the rest of the East <laughs> and you're like, who cares? That's like a fat guy looking at a guy that's fatter than him being like, hey, I'm not that heavy. Sometimes like, bro, you need that. You, <laughs> you, you do, know? but then you look up at the first place scene and you're like, oh, that dude's like 160 pounds and ripped. Oh, yeah. And 180 oh, yeah, and like, ripped. And you're like, I'm three something over here trying to squeeze into a 2X. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, but everybody else is too. Like, no, I mean, to me, it's just like, I look at this Pacers team overall and I think they're starting to play better. They really yeah. are. Sabonis talked about it after the win last night. That mental break, I think it was actually against Orlando. He said that mental break mm-hmm. of, of sitting out a couple of games really did give him, you know, some new energy. And I'm hoping that that's the case because, like, I really like these guys. I really want them to succeed. And I know that our last podcast, it did, it did seem kind of like doom and gloom because we just got spanked by the Bulls and it was kind of just the mood around Pacer Nation. And we were kind of reacting to that because we are fans of the team. And that's how we felt. We're just like, it's so hard to pinpoint what this team is because they have been so up and down all season long. But this is the first three-game winning streak since the beginning of the season, Fachi. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's been months. We're talking about December. I mean, oh, my. It's been that long. What I was telling you. Like we're that's why I don't want to I don't want to call us back by any means, but but we're, we're back to when things looked promising at yeah. one point. And, and to, to highlight some of the promising, I think we got to talk about some of the performances we've seen recently. Harris Levert, Levert had it cooking last night. Thirty four points in the end. It's it's a big basket. I mean, just I, I felt like everything was going great for him in the beginning. And it's nice to see that it looks like he's rounding into form. I mean, three of his last four games, he shot over 50%. I think that he's starting to get into his groove. And then, Alex, we nearly got spoiled with two triple doubles last night from Malcolm Brogdon and Sabonis. They yep. each felt like about a rebound shy. I mean, it was a rebound or assist shy. So if we could have had two triple doubles, Levert dropping 34 and a win, it's like, like and a season high in rebounds. I was looking at this. I was like, "Whoa!" I mean, I don't need two triple doubles a night, but can you can you keep the rebounding like this? Because whoa, Memphis—they're they're no joke of a team. They're above five hundred. Yeah, I mean, and and see, that's the thing. Like Memphis, they didn't play very well against the Knicks on Friday night. They blew that lead and they, they lost it fire before that. Though I know they've been playing well, and it's just like you know they're a team to me that I like. They're a team that I believe had – I think I had them at 8th or ninth in the in the Western Conference because I think John Morant's that special. But, yep. you know, it was a weird game, and we let them claw right back into it. Valanciunas, yeah. like you said earlier, 12 offensive rebounds, I think 20, 20 overall boards, like 20-plus. I can't remember what the 22. total was. 22. I mean, he dominated the glass, Fletch. And we out-rebounded them, though, 53 to 50, but they still had 88 points, I believe, in the paint. That is just so, so bad. It's oh, just my like, God. It's just like when there's so many, like, things to be excited for with the win, you look back and you see, oh, man, there's so many areas of weakness. And, like, I thought when Sabonis went out with that fifth foul, they switched over to that, like, 2-3 zone, that 2-1-2 two, two zone. And I don't think Memphis converted every time but they were getting so many clean looks in the middle of that zone. I was a little worried. I was like, oh, this doesn't look too good. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I'm just like having a hard time watching this team and getting super excited because I still see so many issues. But at the same time, I'm happy to see Karis playing better. I'm happy to see Brogdon shooting the ball better. I'm happy to see Sabonis not really forcing a whole lot anymore either. I think that you're starting to see those guys kind of, 
play a little bit better on the offensive end. And then Edmund Sumner has been a huge bright spot off the off the bench, and he's been starting now some. And McConnell, of course, has been great. It's it's really been fun to see some of these guys take their game to the next level. But at the same time, I just keep looking at that schedule and who they played, and it's just like there's something in the back of my mind that's not letting me fully – you know, embrace this three-game winning streak as, like, super positive. But I am much happier with the prog- uh, progression of this team over the last week than I was the week before where they really let us down. Oh, they did. And just just a few little, you know, tidbits to throw out here and there was I noticed over the past three games what was initially a horrendous perimeter defense of giving up three-pointers. Pacers have only given up 22 made three-pointers in the last three games, so that's under seven a game. So a little over seven three-pointers made per game. So I think that that's, that's a big difference in there. Uh, and the two of those three wins, over 30 assists. I mean, 30 seems like the magic number. You get 30 assists in a game, I feel like things were clicking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, I mean, you shoot 59% against Minnesota. That's great. Against Memphis, they shot 52% from the field. So stuff like that, I mean, you're not going to shoot 50% every night. We're not like the Golden State Warriors a few years ago. But, you know, it just feels like scoring's been up, but also the defense. I mean, how many games are you going to be able to win? You're giving up 125 a night or, you know, 130-plus. I mean, it's not sustainable. Well, if we're playing the Magic in the playoffs, I feel pretty good about it. But (laughs) if we're playing Milwaukee, Philadelphia – or the Brooklyn Nets. I'm a little bit worried about that. <laughs> Actually, a lot of bit worried. But um, I do want to get back to somebody you brought up earlier, and that's Karis LeVert. And this is a guy that we're really starting to see grow as a Pacer. He had his highest scoring game last night for the Pacers, and he's looked pretty good. I think he's starting to get a little bit more familiar with everything, and they've been asking him to play different roles, like with no Brogdon. He's starting next to uh, Edmund Sumner, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but it's all right and he's playing a little bit more point guard. I feel like his catch-and-shoot game has been really bad. It's yeah. it, it could be much more improved. He's much better with the ball in his hands, but I thought last night we saw some nice chemistry starting to develop between him and Brogdon and him and Sabonis with some of those nice backdoor cuts that they found him on and, you know, being able to set him up. But, you know, I, I, I worry a little bit, Vachi, with how he fits in with T.J. Warren. And that's kind of my biggest concern right now. But I don't, I don't think that we're going to – see that until next year clearly with Warren being out but I don't think they're going to move Levert anytime soon no I think that he's a guy they want here long term I mean if they make any move I think it's going to be one of the centers and I know that people have been talking about that at nauseum for the last couple of months probably actually like last couple of years so yeah I just I, I just think about it and I'm just that if he can continue to grow off ball as a player and still kind of run that point at times and let and let Malcolm play off ball I think that's his best rule but with how well McConnell's playing, you really haven't had to stagger him and Brogdon's minutes with the bench. But I think that could be something that we see in the playoffs if McConnell is unable to, you know, play at this high of a level in the playoffs. If we get there, uh, you see Karras maybe kind of run that second unit a little bit more just because he has that ability to be a, you know, primary ball handler. Uh, and I do like that option because I do think at times, I don't want to say getting lost in the shuffle, but it feels like there's some times where it kind of disappears. Like for instance, had 30 points with six minutes to go in the third quarter. Great game. Finished with 34, and one of those baskets came at the very, very end. So you're talking about, you know, only scoring four points over the next, you know, equivalent to 18 minutes of gameplay. Obviously, you know, he came out for a bit, but – I just feel like there's times where it's it's tough because, you know, he's not – I don't envision him being 
the number one go-to option on this team. I envision him being, you know, one of the one of the few guys that can get you like 17 points per game a night. And I think it's going to take some time for him to really carve out his role. He mentioned that they've been able to practice a little bit more lately. So I think he's getting a little bit more familiar. But, uh, you know, I'm with you. I, I want to see how he would go with TJ Warren because it felt like Levert was doing a lot of damage down low. I thought he had some great, you know, Great takes last night, a great game basically inside of the eight feet, which you obviously know Warren does a lot of his work, you know, that mid-range, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see. I think that it's natural to have that question when we haven't seen them play together. Well, and I think that they both, you know, they both thrive with the ball in their hands. And sometimes it makes you wonder, like, okay, how are they going to do this? Are they going to, like, take turns? And, like, Warren, to me, probably is a better catch-and-shoot guy. I mean, but still, I feel more comfortable with him having the ball in his hands. And that was basically under McMillan, where we kind of threw the ball to him with like five or six seconds left, and he was able to create. He hit so many tough shots in the paint. And in that mid-range area, like, you know, he bailed this offense out a lot last season. So, I mean, you are definitely missing that aspect of it, but I'm just curious. And I think one of the nice things about Sabonis is his ability to develop that chemistry with those wing players. I mean, him and Victor looked unstoppable at points when they would play together. Him and Brogdon looked really great last year. I mean, we were calling them the 7-11 duo because yep. they were so dynamic. So, to me, I just think if Levert can continue to, like, play that offensive role with Sabonis, I think those two could actually develop some really nice pick-and-roll chemistry. And if they can continue, can continue to work on that throughout the season, like, just knowing how they like to play their – play their position I think that'll really help them grow together chemistry wise and unfortunately I think it have been like maybe like 14 13 games into it that they've been able to play together it's just like hard to get that chemistry number one when a guy's coming back from an injury number two when they haven't been able to go through the whole playbook together let alone a training camp and practices so I think there's just been a lot of like chemistry issues in a mm-hmm. sense that have held this team back from you know being a little bit more smoother on the offensive end and defensively yeah. No, no doubt. Um, I mean, obviously, you're talking about now um, LeBron's played 16 games as a pacer. But in that span, I mean, Sabonis recently just missed a few games. Brogdon's missed a few games. Like, you know, Turner's now missed a few games. It's like it, it's happened. I mean, you're just kind of like it, it's got to be hard to develop that chemistry. But I think, you know, it, it, hopefully they're starting to click. A bit more. I like the fact that Lavert has at least been vocal on letting letting the media at least know how these guys feel. Like when you know if they're not having as much fun anymore, or you know we really enjoyed the spacing. I mean, I feel like he's tried to take on a bit of a leadership role. Um, and it's I like it. I think I love all the intangibles that he's brought to the team right now. Especially you know when you look at I don't want to keep drawing comparisons to Oladipo, but we just know that right now it, there would have been nothing good to be talking about right now if the Pacers had not made this trade for Levert. There's hope here. And I think that there's a lot of hope moving forward. Yeah, there is. I mean, and I think if you give him a full training camp yeah, and and, and get him acclimated with T.J. Warren a little bit and, and kind of see what those two guys can do together, I'm not sure if they're going to make a move because this is something that I'm kind of like – I probably will be less excited – about the team going into the season if they do run it back with both bigs. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I'm I'm still going to be, like, somewhat optimistic just because I'll have my withdrawals and I'll want to watch it. And then, like, halfway through the season, if they're struggling again, I'll be like, ah, I can't do it anymore. But, um, 
yeah, I mean, with, with Karras, I mean, he's a fine player, and there's been games where I'm like, I just don't know if he's going to fit here long term. They might have to look at moving him. And honestly, I don't actually think that's the worst thing because I don't think he is ever going to be a number one option. But if you, no, can, I don't think so either. But if you could like pair him up with one of the bigs and maybe try to get a number one guy, I think that might be the way to go. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever return you can get to get this team past that clunky first round exit, you know, mm-hmm. good but not great team. I mean, no matter how much I like a guy, I think you have to really consider it. And um, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not sure what they're going to do, but. I don't want to spend all day talking about this. We got all offseason talking about moves they can make in the offseason, but I know we didn't play like super great last night. But the previous games, Aaron Holiday had performed yeah. super well against the Timberwolves and the Magic, two teams that suck. But hey, those are teams that he could be trying out for on the trade market. No, it's very true. And, and Alex, like, yeah, he didn't play well against Memphis, but we this is where we got to cut him a break and not have the shortest leash on him because I, I dug back and I looked at it. Against the Bucks on March 22nd, just before the trade deadline, with rumors swirling that Aaron could be on the move, he goes 0 for 7. And I remember thinking, I put out a tweet, is this the last time we've seen Aaron Holiday in a Pacers uniform? And thank God it wasn't. Thank God management did not just panic and, and trade Holiday for a second-round pick. And, and, you know, one of the guys that, that would call him like a Jalen McHugh-type player where, you know, you're like, oh, what do we even do with this? But – you know, I'm happy they didn't because since then, since that exact game against the Bucks, Aaron Holiday is shooting 30 of 55 or 54% from the field, and his three ball in the month of April is scorching. I'm talking 15 of 23 for 65%. And for the first time in his career, he just had back-to-back games of 20 points or more. They're both off the bench. I, I love what I'm seeing. I feel like he's really put together more consistent play. The consistency may not be the word because then he came out flat against Memphis. He came out flat a couple games ago. But you're talking about at one point you were getting, you know, 18 or more points at Aaron Holiday. I think it was like three out of four games. And for that, you can't complain one bit. Yeah, he's that microwave type of player off the bench. He's real streaky. But in those games when he performs well – this team does well. Exactly. And it's weird to say that because he's a guy that's like your 10th or 11th man in the rotation when everyone's fully healthy, maybe even 12 when you put T.J. Warren back in the mix. Like, it's just he's he's a guy that he's got so many good things that he brings to the table, but it's just not consistently there. And I don't know if it's a pacer thing because we look at a guy like Alizé Johnson who did not get a chance. Still hurts. You know, and this is a guy that a lot of people that I talked to prior to the draft were like, wow, this could be the steal of the second round. Like, he's a really unknown guy, mm-hmm. but he could be, like, really talented. And, like, I know a lot of people kind of, like, said he looked like Jimmy Butler and, and stuff like that, yeah, you yeah, know. He did. He did. You know, like a, like a light, like, like a, a bootleg Jimmy yeah, Butler. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. like a Walmart, you know, type, you know, knockoff. A rule king. A rule king Jimmy yeah, Butler. Yeah. But, but anyway, I mean, so I was like, all right, let's see what he is. He's a second-round pick. You know, usually second-round picks – don't get a lot of playing time. It takes a lot to really prove them, but that's two now. George's Niang and Alizé Johnson, yep. second-round picks that have left and are now part of really good teams. I mean, Niang is a part of the rotation for the Jazz, who are the best team in the NBA. Alizé Johnson's now with the Nets, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Then you look at another guy, T.J. Leaf. He signed a 10-day t- contract with Portland. 
He's so lucky. Like, lucky guy. Yeah, he yeah. is. He's lucky. But it's just funny because I think of all three of those guys could be in the playoffs and the Pacers might not be. <laughs> and it's just like you sit there and you think about it. It's like, man, where have we gone wrong with the development? But it's just hard. It's really hard to develop guys. But I'm happy for Alizé Johnson. I'm happy for those guys that are getting opportunities. But the same thing with Aaron Holiday. It's like I'm sure the Pacers are a little nervous because if they trade him, he could like – burst out of the seam somewhere else and it's like oh there's another failed draft pick for the Pacers you know guy didn't do anything here but when they traded him he played well it's like I don't know what it is but maybe that's part of the uh reassembling the assistant coaching staff in the offseason that we've been hurt whether we've heard about because I don't understand how all these guys can become you know somewhat important basketball players not to, I'm not counting TJ Leaf right now but yeah yeah you know, Alizé Johnson, George's Niang, like guys that are cut by the Pacers, but all of a sudden have some prominent role with their team. And these are good teams. Like these aren't just teams that are like are. sucky, like the Kings. And you're like, oh, look, you know, Niang is getting 20 minutes with the Kings off the bench. No, it's like he's playing with the Jazz. They're 40 wins and 13 losses. They're freaking awesome. So that's where I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to lose Aaron Holiday, but you know, I'm, I'm happy with the back and forth growth that we've seen a little bit. Like, He's not grown a ton, but, I mean, you've seen growth from Goga and Edmund Sumner. So hopefully that does give you a little bit of hope if you're a Pacer fan that they can find some way to get Aaron out of this funk. But he's not that young. No, no, he's not. He's, he's a little bit older. But, you know, at the same point, I still feel like there is hope with Aaron Holiday. I mean, he's a scorer. He is. I mean, he's never going to be an elite scorer by any means. But this, this dude, he can shoot. I mean, you're talking about right now, his three-point percentage has been on the rise, like I mentioned. He's got it up to basically 38%. Last year, he was at 40% for most of the year. I mean, he's still taking basically three attempts per game, but it's, you know, we've seen him have a reduced role where it, it's just, it's nice to see that he didn't get too down on himself and just shut down. It's like, we saw obviously his emotions at times you know, show on the court because he was frustrated because he wasn't playing well. But he knows firsthand that that ball is going to go in that basket eventually. It will. And it was good that, you know, we didn't just see him disappear or get traded elsewhere. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy that he got it going. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm sure he's, you know, probably the happiest person of all because he, he's putting in the work. It, no, it's obvious. Yeah. No, he is. And I just, 
I'm excited about some of these young guys, Fodge. I really am. I think that so am I. I think that some of these guys do fit the system. And I know there's some questions I have, but I want to save some of my thoughts and questions for some of our offseason talk because if we get into it now, it'll be lost by then. But I want to take a quick break. I know when we come back, we want to do a little bit of a preview of the upcoming week and give our predictions. And I want to read some of the fans' thoughts based on my poll I put out. And we're also going to rank the five most fun paces to watch this season based on me and Fachi's perspective. So we'll be right back with those. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy from big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Good things to talk about. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. All right, Focci. So I put a tweet out last night after the Pacers, you know, extended that winning streak to three. And I said the next five games for the Pacers, Clippers at home against the Clippers, on the road against the Rockets, on the road against the Jazz, on the road against the Hawks, and then back home against the Spurs. How many wins do you think the Pacers get? Out of 405 votes, Fachi, 49% said at least three, 38% said two or less, and then we had some optimistic people, 7% said five, and 6% said four. Fachi, it looks like only 38% thought we'd go, you know, two and three or less, so that means, what is that, uh, that's like 60, 72%, 62%, 62% believe that we're going to win more than we're going to lose this next coming uh, five games. How do you feel about this upcoming schedule? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd feel good saying three and two. The big the big game that's going to tip the scale is that Clippers game because, you know, like we mentioned before, Paul. I mean, Paul George is going to be active, but you got no Kawhi Leonard, no Serge Ibaka, no Pat Beverly. Pacers playing good. I feel like this is like – I don't want to say this is the test because those guys are out, but this is a game where it's like – if we can't beat the Clippers without three starters, basically, then it, we got no business beating anybody. <laughs> so, I, you know, I know Miles Turner is not going to not gonna play in this game, but that that's going to be the big one. The Rockets, you have to win that game. The Jazz, I'm sorry, it probably just ain't happening. The Hawks game, that's what I want to label as a big test right there. Yeah. And then the Spurs, hey, if we just beat them recently, I feel like we can do it again. So three and two. I like what the fans are feeling, and it sounds like, Alex, some optimism is creeping back into Pacer Nation. I think so. I think my favorite uh, response was from uh, Aris. You know, he, uh, he's yep. a great Pacer 
Pacer fan, and he said five and zero oh because nothing makes sense. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, so many Pacers podcasts were like so close to the verge of talking about like missing the playoffs <laughs> and tanking, and then all of a sudden the three game winning streak. It's like, hey, you know, we're right back in it, and we've been talking about that for five weeks prior to that, like every single week. Like, hey, if they get hot in a moment, they could be the fourth yep. seed. We, and I just we got tired of talking about it. I think it's part of the reason, and I think we probably started losing a little bit of hope, but. I can kind of see three and two. I would part of me feels like two and three because Clippers, Jazz, Hawks feel like losses to me with the Rockets and Spurs being possible wins. I mean, I could see us going one and four Ooh. just just because I think San Antonio is good enough to beat us. I think that the Hawks are clearly good enough to beat us and the Jazz and Clippers. I don't have to talk about them too much, but the Rockets, I mean, that's the game that I would be most disappointed in if we lost. Oh, yeah. I definitely think we get that win, even if it's on the road. Christian Wood's fine. They got John Wall. I mean, he can go off. I mean, they just beat the Mavericks, who have been playing unbelievable. I think they have the third-best record uh, since the All-Star break or since the last two months, something like that. I mean, they've been on fire, and they just took down the freaking Mavericks and knocked me out of a survivor pool that I was Ooh. in. But but anyway, I don't want to be too bitter <laughs> about it. But, uh, but, yeah, so it's one of those things where I just look at the schedule and I say, a lot, a lot could really tell us here where this team goes. I mean, if they go three and two, that puts them one game under five hundred, right? Uh, yeah, one yeah. game. Yeah, one yep, game. Yep. If they go two and three, that puts them two games where they're at. Are they two games now? Yeah, I think they're two games now under five hundred. Mm-hmm, they are. So it's just like I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure this team out. Still, they're still, uh, I'm still uncertain. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if the fans said forty nine percent say we're going to win three games, I think we should go with that. I think so. It sounds like a pretty good option. I mean, hey, we're not asking to go 5-0. and We're not asking for 4-1. and We're asking to play some winning basketball right now, and I think we can do it over the next five games. Yeah, I just – I thought it was funny, Foch, because you had put a tweet out with all those injuries to the Clippers that the Pacers have to win this game almost. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember. What did you say for – what did you say again exactly on your, on said, your tweet? I said something like uh, – no Kawhi, no Serge Ibaka, you know Patrick Beverly. Looks like the basketball gods are starting to shine upon us again. Yeah, yeah. So I said Paul George is going to drop fifty tomorrow, oh, man. and I was man, jokingly I saying, I was jokingly saying it, but like he hates the Pacers. Oh like, yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't hates. even say our name. He says my my original team. It's like what? Yeah, oh, my he God. he can't stand us. And the last time he was here, he made us look silly, dropping thirty seven yeah. points, and it was effortless botch effortless and he started talking about bird and all the guys that he hates like you yep. know if this is just personal for paul and like half these guys don't even care anymore like i think miles is the only guy that was on the same team with him he is so time. yeah so you and he's not even playing so it's like where does he get this motivation i mean he just legit hates indiana so i i would not be surprised if if he has a monster game and that doesn't mean that they're that we're gonna lose just because without the other guys i mean how much can he carry the load? But I mean, it would not shock me if he had a big scoring performance against us tomorrow. Um, but but at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not too worried about it. I know there's a lot of PG haters, and I know that I have been labeled as one. I actually don't hate Paul George. I just I just wish things would have worked out a little bit differently. But I'm happy with the return we got. You know, it could have been oh, yeah. a lot lot worse. So, um, but anyway, Fachi, do you want to you want to get into our rankings of our sure. most five interesting players to watch this season? And this is strictly just our opinions. Everybody has a different opinion on what they base, you know, fun or enjoyable on. So, uh, you know, Alex and I, we're going to rank our top five. Alex, do you want to go player for player? I'll do uh, my number one and you do number one, or do you want to go from five and work our way down? 
let's work our way up to our favorite player to watch. So let's start with our least most interesting player. Uh, so start with number five. Fachi, you got. All right. Well, you know, there, there's no uh, no knock on being number five here in least, but, you know, there has to be a number five here. I'm going with Goga. Yeah, same here. I've honestly taken great enjoyment in seeing the flashes here and there. His stats aren't going to, like, blow you away on a night. He's not, like I said before, he's not going to be dropping 20 and 10, but we're starting to see some stuff. I'm seeing a pretty shot. I'm seeing five blocks against Memphis. Like, what? Wait, what? Then all of a sudden he had six and then five assists earlier in the week. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, you're starting to see little things here and there that are giving me a lot of, like, hope and promise. And not to say, oh, Goga's playing great to the point where you got to trade one of the bigs now. But it's like I'm not feeling the same way I felt last year being like, what's this guy's deal? Like, when are we going to get him on the court? Like, you know, I I have enjoyed – the process and seeing him grow. And, and for that, he comes in at number five on my list. Yeah. And that's pretty much the same reason I put him at number five. I think he's a guy that we just wanted to see him out on the court and it didn't seem promising at the beginning of the year, had the ankle injury, like you said, you know, and, and finally came back. I think his first game was against the Clippers on the road. And after his first game back from everything did not play well, the whole team sucked that night. And people were like, Goga's a bust. Goga's awful. It's like you guys really write all players super quick. Like we are an instant uh, – we need instant results right away, it feels like, for, for Indiana fans. But I'm not saying Goga's the next coming <laughs> of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Hakeem Olajuwon or anything like that. I just think he's a solid player. He's starting to look a little bit more comfortable shooting the three-point shot. He's, he's actually got soft touch around the rim. He's a solid rebounder, fouls a lot, gets in bad positions – slow to react quite a bit as well to some of the stuff that's happening. But I think at 20 years old, you're starting to see a tiny bit of growth from him. And I think, like I said, all last season and part of this off season, he needs a solidified role. And now he's got one. He's the backup center. He plays about 12 minutes a game, I believe. And that is perfect for him. He needs that to get better. He needs those growing pains. He's going to have games where he plays better and plays more because of foul trouble. He's also going to have games where he plays less because he's struggling. But at the same time, that's what I want from a young center because center is the hardest position to develop in the NBA, really. They take bigs take longer than guards. It's just part of it. And uh, I'm, I'm happy with his development over the last couple of years. I am. And I feel like he's he's learning because it's like we still do see him get called for fouls that I feel like aren't fouls. But I like the fact that he contests shots. He's not afraid if he's going to get dunked on or anything. He has a lot of times where he plays really good defense, and the ball still goes in the hoop. And I'm mm. like, nah, I, I'm not going to knock him for that. Like, he was all over him. You know, just just playing good defense. You're seeing a guy who who is really trying. And for that, I, I really enjoy seeing that. Yeah, and I, and I want to say this, too. Um, I just – I love his reactions – no, oh, yeah. When he does not like calls. I mean, I, I posted a video of one on, um, I don't know if it was, I think it was Friday's game against the Magic. He got called for a foul and he looked up and he was just like, you got to be kidding me. And the reaction he gave was so funny. He is animated and he loves basketball. Like, I, I think you don't have to worry about him ever being a guy that's going to like, if he were to ever evolve into like a starting center, I don't think of him as a guy that'd be like, get me out of this city. No, I got to be no, in a big no. city. He just seems content and happy to to play basketball and it doesn't matter where he's at or what market he's in but anyway Fachi, let's move on number four who you got 
Number four on my list. I don't know if I have him too low. Well, I guess we'll find out after this episode. But I got Miles Turner at number four. And uh, I think that Miles has done something rare. He's made defense sexy again. The, <laughs> the sh- I mean, we're talking about a, a guy that has more shot blocks. I mean, he's got to be the undisputed shot blocker. I need that to be known that he is the top shot blocker in the league year in, year out. Not just this year. He's, he's made that his thing. And we're talking about a guy that numerous times had seven block games. I mean, he's really just taken over. And I feel like the blocking shots has spread to the confidence in his overall game. And I just feel like he looks like a different player this year. I've enjoyed it. I, I like the confidence that he has going around. There's a little bit of a swagger to him. And, and I just think that in, in a time where really no one's playing defense, it's nice to see that Miles has bought in 100%. Yeah, no, Miles had a great year. Um, for me, number four, Fachi, I went with our guy, Domas Sabonis. Okay. He's having an all-star level season once again. Um, I mean, there's been moments where it's been frustrating to watch him because, yeah, he has been complaining a lot about a lot about foul calls. But I, I thought about that recently, and I know that I've kind of harped on it a little bit. I know other people have really harped on it. I see it on Twitter quite a bit, and those are probably guys that are guys and gals that are more trade Sabonis over trade Turner. But if you notice, the, the best players in the league that get calls are the ones that complain the most about him. So he's probably just trying to get his voice heard. But, I mean, he just watching that game against Memphis last night reminded me his passing ability is unbelievably beautiful. Unbelievable. He can go on rebounding clinics. I mean, I don't really want to see him backing down somebody for 10 seconds and then put a shot up. But I, I love some of the elements that he brings, like just the separation he gets on pick and rolls. Like, it's fun to watch. And I think probably one of the most enjoyable moments – of the season for me was watching him at all-star weekend in the skills challenge. I don't care if anybody says they hated it, but as a Pacer fan, I enjoyed every second of it. And I loved how passionate he was and he cares so much and he wants to win. So, yeah, I mean, I put him at number four. He's a really fun player to watch. I understand that his defense has not been great this year, but quite frankly, if Bjorkren is putting him in a really awful spot and exposing his defensive liabilities by putting him in the position that he's putting him in, Go back and watch us. If they were playing him with like a Pascal Siakam, someone who's much more athletic, you wouldn't see the deficiencies that this offense has or this defense has. But Sabonis is just – he's being asked to do something that he's not good at. And defensively, he's not a bad defender, but he's not great at all. But guarding centers, he's much better at. But trying to go out there and run guys off the three-point line and switch on to smaller guards is just not his forte. And, you know, Bjorkren, give him credit. I mean, he's sticking to his guns and playing his style and, you know – it's not worked all the time, but at the same point, you know, I think Domas has gotten better at it over the he years. Has. But, you know, I just – I couldn't leave him off my list. I know that it's not been as fun probably as last year because he came out of nowhere and was really just this blooming star. But I like what I've seen so far from him. Yeah, no, I completely agree with all the points that you made there. I mean, hey, he, he's a special talent, and that's why I have him at number three on my list. Um, and I, I think that could sound pretty crazy that a non-Pacer fan would probably – so you're telling me your two-time All-Star is number three and four on your list or, or whatever it was. But that, that's where I have him at because I don't know if we've maybe gotten used to what, what he brings to the table or this, this, that. But he is a very special talent that probably shouldn't be the team's number one option. But he is our two-time All-Star. Truly one of the best playmaking big men in the league. Passing ability second only to Jokic, who is probably going to win MVP this year. So, I mean, that says a lot. You're talking about a guy who was an absolute lock for a double-double every single night 
that he hits the court uh, and already has the most triple doubles in uh, Pacers franchise history uh, at his very young age. And then also a side note, last night moved into 23rd all time on the Pacers list in uh, assists. I mean, oh, this, wow. this guy is going to be shooting up the ranks when you're talking about rebounding assists. I mean, could even be scoring depending on how long he stays with the team, but you know, obviously, we've seen since the addition of Levert, his touches have been down. His numbers have decreased a bit. And we're just going to have to accept that if it comes with wins. But Sabonis, extremely special talent. Love love having him. Just, yeah, have him a little bit lower than I would have had him last year. He's my number three. Yeah, and so we flip-flopped our three and four. I have Miles Turner at number three. He has been so much fun to watch this season. And I, I really just have embraced the defensive, you know, the defensive – prowess that he has brought to this team because I I've been so like so back and forth with Miles Turner as a player because there's flashes of like man this guy's super good then there's flashes of man this guy disappears a lot but this season that's not been the case Foch he has been everywhere on the defensive end I don't care if he scores two points and has three rebounds he's blocking shots he's protecting the paint he's altering guys at the rim and, and there's there's still a lot of issues with the defense, and it's not just on Miles. It's it's pretty much on the wings, and that's where it's got to get better. But I just think that what we've seen from him on both ends of the floor, it's been such a surprise, and it's been such a beautiful surprise because he's attacking off the dribble a little bit more. He's a little bit more physical in the paint than he used to be. Rebounding numbers, I think, have gone up. At least it feels like it. I don't know what the numbers say, but when I watch, I don't feel like he's as – poor as a rebounder as I felt like he was maybe two or three years ago. His rim protection has gotten better every single game and his ability to switch on the guys has been much better too defensively. So yeah, I mean, you said a lot of good things about miles. I, I think miles has been awesome this year. And if I'm an opposing team, that's looking to add a center to my roster. If the Pacers are dangling one of these guys, I feel like I'm hitting the jackpot because both of them are really good, but they're both better by themselves. And so mm-hmm. You're you're gonna see how impactful they will be on whatever team they get traded to if they get if they do get traded this offseason because look Miles may never be an all-star and he might not win defensive player of the year, but he is a guy that impacts the game in a certain way that a lot of other centers cannot. And if you don't agree with that, then you're just simply a Miles hater because I can sit back and say that. I've not always been the biggest fan, but what he's brought to the team this year, Fatch, I've been incredibly impressed with. Oh, yeah, and numbers are not everything. Otherwise, you, you'd think there'd be a much bigger market for Andre Drummond, the guy who got traded you know, for what you find in your couch the previous year to Cleveland, and then this year there wasn't even what you could find in your couch. I mean, it was literally like no one was giving anything. Yeah. Uh, so they had to just buy him out, and that's someone who was putting up – you know, in the world of stats, ridiculous numbers. But in the end, it, I, I heard the, the, the phrase, it's almost like he doesn't affect the game at all, despite getting, you know, 20 and 20 at times. Miles Turner, the exact opposite. A guy who does affect the game, but it's not going to give you the 20 and 20. He's going to do it by defending the paint. He's going to do it by blocking shots. He just It changes the way that the, the opposing team operates. And then when he has it going offensively, that's like the icing on the cake right there. Yeah, yeah. No, and I wanted to say real quick, too, like being the fifth option on offense can probably be a little bit frustrating for a guy that knows that he has more to bring to the offensive end, but he's embraced that role, and he doesn't complain, and there's been times where he's really stepped up, 
and been better than a fifth option. Sometimes he's been the second or third option on oh, offense, yeah. mm-hmm. but just his ability to knock down threes and get in the paint at certain points and take guys off the dribble that are slower than him. I mean, he's still got plenty of room to grow. Don't get me wrong. But if you don't think that this season has been his best season of his career, then I don't know what you're watching because he looks awesome this year. Valid point. Valid point. Now, number two on my list, a guy who truly feels like one of our own, Edmund Sumner. Right now, I mean, it goes back to, man, this might have been like two years ago in the beginning of setting the pace. Met Edmund Sumner at a Pacer game. Got him to shout out. I was like, Edmund, can you just just say setting the pace? And he had no idea what I was talking about. He's like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, setting the pace and we, 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 we put that into so many different little jokes like hey, Edmund who's who's your favorite podcast you know and we would put in that sound bite and all that and he wasn't playing at all yeah and then I just feel like now you fast forward a couple years later he's earned his role he's put in the work no no doubt about it when I'm watching a pacer game and babe sees Edmund Sumner he goes I mean she goes wow like love Edmund Sumner I'm like I love him too, you know, because it's, <laughs> it's just like we've watched, like we've just watched him go from like, you know, not even the, the, the last man on the rotation to then at, at a bunch of times starting. I mean, hustling. Like, like you see the energy, you see the hustle, the drive, everything in there. And it's like, it feels like the one guy, and that no offense to like a Goga or anything like that, but the one guy the Patriots have truly developed over the last few years because. You know, I mean, when Sumner came into the league, he's coming off of an ACL tear. I mean, it was really like you didn't know if he was ever going to truly carve out a, a niche, a role in the NBA, and he's done it with the Pacers, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, no, I uh, I love Edmund Sumner, and I think that what he has done for this Pacers team and his story is just one of the most incredible stories about a young guy, a second-round pick, who had some injuries that set him back. And, you know, a, a guy that was just not able to find consistent minutes. Like, I remember last year in the playoffs, fans were screaming on Twitter, start Edmund Sumner. Mm-hmm. He can guard Duncan Robinson. He can guard Tyler Hero. He can fight through those screens, and McMillan refused to do it. And, you know, I don't really think it would have made a difference last year because Miami was just that yeah. special of a team last season. But he does so many things that are impactful. And I think that we're both going to have the next guy on your list on our list as well with T.J. McConnell. But most players say that T.J. McConnell is the only energy we get from this team, and I disagree with that. Edmund Sumner provides an energy that is so special, he changes games. He does. I mean, he comes in and he changes and disrupts games, and I think that's one thing Bjorkman said when he was brought on as the head coach. I want to play disruptive offense and defense. I want to be disruptive, and that is Edmund Sumner to a T. He is not afraid of anybody. He usually guards some of the better players on the court. And sometimes, you know, they might get the better of him, but he's never afraid of a challenge. He's gained so much confidence in his shot. I, I love me some Edmund Sumner, and I'm on the hype train. But for me, Fachi, number two is TJ McConnell. Okay, okay. I love TJ McConnell and what he's brought to this team, but I want to see it in the playoffs. I want to see this guy just showcase what he can do in a series where the game is changed and slowed down quite a bit because he's very good at playing fast tempo and getting in the paint and hitting those shots. But last year in the playoffs, he was unplayable and he's worked on the three point shot. He's like miles. I think he's had a career year as well. 
I love me some T.J. McConnell. I'm surprised that more teams did not try to pry him away from the Pacers at the deadline. Maybe they did. We just didn't hear about it. He's a leader on and off the court. He, like I said, brings that energy every single game, Fachi. And he might be their most clutch player this season. He has been very clutch, especially lately. TJ McConnell, number one on my list for funnest players, you know, most enjoyable players to watch. No doubt McConnell is having a career year. And every single time that you try and be realistic with yourself and say, I mean, he's like what? At best, a six-foot white dude off the bench. It, it doesn't matter. He defies the odds. It's like he's giving you a triple-double with steals. Or he becomes the first player in nearly 40 years with numerous games of 15 assists or more off the bench. The nonstop hustle, no matter what the score is, is how you wish every sports team or player would play the game. That that it's like it's not about, oh, like this is a business. Like the love of the game. And you see McConnell just diving all over the place, just Reckless with his body. I mean, how many times has he made a basket or stole inbounds and then made another one or or just stole inbounds and, and, and made it or dished it for an assist? Just it feels like it happens every single game. And it just feels like even when the trade deadline came, like you mentioned, I mean, a lot of Pacer fans were like, is McConnell even going to be back next year? Like, can we can we afford to let him walk? There would have been a bit of sadness that came over all of us. If McConnell wasn't there and we saw him doing the same highlights for a winning team and we just saw if the Pacers were down, they were holding their heads, you know, and just it was looking, you know, very dim. It would be like, that's where you're missing TJ McConnell. Who's picking these players up? And that's the type of stuff you'll never see in the box score. And that I just feel like he is deserving of whatever contract he gets next year. And I'm happy that he had his career years in Indiana. Most beloved Pacers since Lance Stevenson? I think so. I think that's a great point. I don't think people are quite saying that exact statement, but they should be because we've fallen in love with McConnell this year. Yeah, I mean, people love Lance. They still can't stop talking about him. I think if they let Tuja McConnell go and they start struggling, people would say the same thing. Got to bring McConnell back. Got to bring TJ back just because of what he brings. And I think what he brings you cannot replace. It's, um, It's not really a skill. On, on the court. I think it's just a personality trait. It's I just think it. it's he has it. Yeah. It's uh he he just has this little bit in him that's a little bit of a bulldog, a little bit of a I just I can't describe it, but you know what I'm talking about if you watch him play. Oh, yeah. He just has his extra fire in him. But for me, number one, guy that I already talked about Edmund Sumner. I, I think I look at his obstacle to get to where he's at in in this rotation. Guys that are above him, T.J. McConnell, Aaron Holliday, Malcolm Brogdon at the time, Victor Oladipo now, Karis LeVert. You got Doug McDermott. You know, he's a guy that was not in the rotation, even when healthy. And I, I want to say Keelan Martin at the beginning of the season got more run than him. <laughs> and it's funny to think about, but you think of where he's come from. From that first time we saw him holding that championship belt up practice under Nate yep. Bjorkren to now starting some of these games and. He's getting more minutes than Jeremy Lamb. He's getting more minutes than Aaron Holiday. Um, some games, I mean, probably not more than McDermott, but they're about the same sometimes. He's just been in these games more than other players that you thought were ahead of him in the rotation and in the depth chart. And I think that, to me, speaks to just why I've loved watching him so much because 
there are flaws to his game. There's flaws to every player on this Pacers team game, and that's why they're not a f- above 500 team. But positively speaking, I love me some Edmund Sumner. I could talk about him for you know the next five hours of how much I'm excited to see him grow as a player and break all things down and get onto the nitty gritty of it. But overall, Foch, he's just a guy that impacts the game, and that's why he's number one on my list because of the the ladder that he had to climb to get to where he's at. It's quite the latter. I mean, just, just to put it in perspective, I know it's been a couple of years, but in 2017, he played two minutes and 10 seconds on the season. And now, I mean, he's really put in all the work. He, he's playing some solid minutes now. And he scored in double figures in five of the last six games. And he shot over 50% in all of those. Wow. So, I mean, that, that that's just someone who right now is being efficient and fun to watch. And for that, it's like, hey, this guy's carved out his role, and you, you can't take it from him now. Yeah, no, there's there's no doubt about it, Fachi. So I think that wraps up our lengthy podcast today. Sorry we haven't been back since last Tuesday. Had some people asking, where have you guys been at? We missed you on Thursday, and that's on me and Fachi. We just did not communicate, I guess, very well. We never locked it down, and I was assuming we did, and Fachi was like, well, you never confirmed it. I said, you're right, I didn't. So um, <laughs> that's just what happens when you don't communicate very well. You'll find that out in marriage, trust me. But um, but anyway, we're back. We had a lengthy podcast. We had a lot to talk about, and we'll be back again later this week. We will pin it down. We will confirm it. Don't worry about that. Uh, we miss hearing from you guys and chatting with you guys on Twitter and just Getting back from people. Fachi, any final words? Final words are let's just keep the good times rolling. Three-game winning streak, why not make it four? All right. I like the confidence, Fachi. Where can the people find us at on social media? You could find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And on Instagram, we are at PacersTalk. And when you're enjoying a three-game winning streak from the boys for the second time this season, all you can do is put your hands up in the air and say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.